Well, this evening we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, and you're joining us tonight in our Easter service series, and so Nigel's going to be preaching in just a few moments, and he's going to take us into the upper room, and so we're going to read from Matthew 26, and we're going to begin to read at verse 17. If you're lifting a pew Bible tonight, you'll find that on page 996, page 996, and we do encourage everyone to read along in their Bibles with us, and then to to mark where we're at, and then open them again as Nigel comes to preach. It's good to have the Lord's Word open in front of us. So, Matthew chapter 26, beginning to read at verse 17 this evening. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many and for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us. The grass willers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to spend a little bit of time here, and then we're going to go into Exodus chapter 12 to the story of the Passover and think about that a little bit this evening. Meals with traditions. We know that there are a few points in our year where we have meals that have traditions associated with them. Christmas is the obvious one, of course. Most of us have broadly the, the same 
a meal at Christmas cooked to varying degrees of perfection, I suppose, but with the same sorts of trimmings, the same sorts of menu, uh, uh, the, the, the same sorts of things happen for many people on Christmas. If you are Scottish, you might enjoy the same sort of menu on a Burns Night. The Scots will tell you, of course, that they go out and hunt down the little haggis in, in uh, the hillsides of the glens, but actually they all get them in Sainsbury's and, and, uh, and so on. So, so there are only a few times in, in our uh, year whenever we have a meal that has a particular traditions and uh, contents and so on associated with it. In Jesus' day, that was very different. And uh, there was one meal in particular that, that every Jew took part in, and there was very, very little variation on how it was done. You could have gone to, to just about any Jewish home, and, and, and everything that happened, you would have been entirely uh, familiar with. In fact, if something changed, it would have been because somebody had made a, a mistake. The menu was the same. The, the rituals that accompanied it were, were pretty much the same. And, and the thing is, they had been unchanged for centuries. It, it, was the, it was the Passover. Every springtime, Jews celebrated the Passover, and it had been celebrated like that for 1,400 years. Now, you imagine. You think of back 1,400 years in, in the history of these islands, uh, way back beyond the Battle of Hastings and all these sorts of things. Uh, we hardly know what was happening in the seventh century in this country. But, but for 1,400 years, this meal had been continuing almost uh, unchanged. And here in, in Matthew, we read that on the night before he died, Jesus celebrated this ancient practice with his disciples, and he used it to talk about who he was and what he'd come to do. It's a hugely significant moment in the Easter story. Now, as, as we said, there were all sorts of uh, expected rituals that took place at the Passover meal. There were significant preparations that had to be made. You see that uh, Jesus ha has a set some of that up in, in verse 19, uh, in verses 17, 18, and 19. The disciples uh, make these arrangements to, to share this Passover meal. <clears throat> uh, unleavened bread had to be made. Bitter herbs were prepared. A lamb was killed. Salt water that stood for tears uh, was, was gathered up. A special apple paste was made that spoke of clay uh, that bricks were made from. There were four cups of wine uh, that, that referred to four promises that were drunk at certain points during the evening. Uh, they, they refer to four promises of God in Exodus chapter 6. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. Um, I will take you for my own people and will be your God. Beautiful uh, rituals connected with this meal. And as the meal progressed, the host of the meal, who in this case was Jesus, the host of the meal would say certain things and do certain things that would take everybody back to a particular event in Exodus that we're going to look at in a moment. And as they did that, the things that they said, you know, the disciples would have been sitting there if they were, say, 30 years old, 40 years old, they would have gone through this 30 or 40 times. They would have known the, the liturgy off by heart, every word that was about to be said, they would, they would anticipate it. And something absolutely unique and revolutionary happened that night when Jesus was the host of this meal. He changed the liturgy. He changed the liturgy. 
Uh, when you see in, in uh, uh, verse 26, when they were eating, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And his disciples were expecting him to say, this is the bread of affliction. But he said, take and eat. This is my body. Now you imagine, 1,400 years. That had been unchanged. And Jesus takes this rooted in history tradition and says, this is about me. It's a, and it's an astonishing moment. By the way, lots of people think that Jesus was a good man who found himself on the wrong side of powerful people who wanted rid of him. And so his death was some sort of unfortunate end to a promising career. And that just does not fit the facts at all. He is absolutely clear that he has come into this world to die that at this time he has come to Jerusalem to die at the Passover. And what we're going to do this evening is, is look back at that original event and see what it is all about. See how it points to, to Jesus. It's a little bit like walking along a, a path in a, natural, in a national park and seeing one of those information boards, you know, that, that give you all the history and the geography and the, the uh, uh, the, the, the natural things that you're going to see and so on. And they put it here and say, now just round the corner, this is what you're going to see. And the Passover is like this ancient information board that says, just round the corner, this is what you're going to see. And I hope that as we look at this tonight, we're going to see Jesus all the more clearly for having looked at this ancient sign. So, so that takes us to Exodus 12. And we're going to let's turn there and uh, we're going to read uh, the account of the Passover, at least part of it. And we'll say a little bit about its context in a moment. But Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read the first uh, 13 verses. Uh, so this is page 68, if you've got a pew Bible. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until the morning. If some is left till the morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night... I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Amen. Okay, let's set the scene a little bit. It is about 1400 BC. God's people are slaves in Egypt. How did they get there? You remember Joseph and his family have come down to Egypt. They are there. They, they grow into a, a mighty nation. But the pharaohs change. The leadership of the country change. They forget Joseph. And, and they are threatened by the, the growing number of the Hebrews, and they, they begin to oppress them. They make them their slaves. They, they make them, they enroll them in their great uh, building projects. They are making bricks. Then they are making bricks without straw and so on. And, and they, they cry out to the Lord. And Moses is, is raised up as the one who would lead them into the exodus. Uh, exodus just means exit. Uh, an exit from this land of slavery. You know how the story goes. He goes to Pharaoh and, and, and communicates to him that God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh will not do that. And a number of various plagues come on the land. One after another, they come. And God is bringing judgment on Egypt. In fact, he's actually bringing judgment on Egypt gods. You notice that he says that here in a... A, a chapter 12, verse 12 and, and, and 13. Um, he's bringing judgment on people's gods, and, and if you, you know the plagues, the, the various gods that represent the Nile and, and the fertility of the farmland, they're all sort of challenged with the various plagues, and, and, and they're shown to be empty. And so Pharaoh is, is sitting there thinking, the things that I'm worshiping are, are, are powerless, and that's exactly, of course, the intention of what God is doing, to show the futility of what the Egyptians are living for and standing for. And yet, Pharaoh continues to refuse God. He uh, hardens his heart, and God hardens his heart, and, and, and he refuses to let the, the Israelites go. And the stage is now set for this last great confrontation, and, and God announces in chapter 11 the plague of the firstborn. And he follows it in chapter 12 by giving instruction on the Passover. So that's how we get to this part in the Scriptures. Now, we're just going to step through this and make a number of, of comments on it. I think we've got a little outline on our next slide. Uh, how does it go? Yes. The, we're thinking about the sacrifice of the Passover, that it's necessary, that it's suitable, that it's a substitute, it's objective. Just going to say a word or two about these things. First of all, it, it's it's necessary because what the Israelites begin to see here is that that they too need saved. They too face the wrath of God. It is necessary. Now, this not, may not strike us immediately, but it's strange because apart from the first few plagues, the Israelites have generally been spared the effects of the plagues. And they didn't have to do anything to enjoy that, they, they, just because they were Israelites. There was a difference made between God's people and the Egyptian people. So the Egyptian livestock died, but the Israelite livestock did not die. The Egyptians were in darkness for three days. The Israelites were not. And they didn't have to do anything to ensure that God differentiated between them and their Egyptian neighbors. And you can just imagine, you know, what the human heart is like. You might, you might begin to think, hey, this is, this is really good. You know, we're on God's side here. God's on our side. 
This is automatic. Just because we're Israelites, we don't, we don't need to worry about anything here because God's just going to sort it all out for us. And yet, not this time. This time, careful preparations are needed or Israel would suffer the effects of this, the most terrible of the plagues. And it's a subtle way of saying to the Israelites, you too are sinners. You too face my wrath. Don't think that salvation is automatic just because of whom, who you are. They too were sinful, and therefore when God's anger is about to be shown against sin, and especially in revealing the, the, the penalty for sin, which is death, they too were under threat from that anger. And their only hope to escape that threat lay in the provision that God had made. And that's really important. God does not save His people by saying, hey, do you know what? Your, your sin doesn't matter. Or even because, because you're my people, your sin doesn't matter. No, no, no. I, he's not saving them by turning a blind eye to their sin. He is saving them by making a provision for their sin so that they will be saved from the wrath to which all people uh, face. It's easy to see ourselves as exceptions sometimes, isn't it? It's so often whenever we hear about things, we think, oh, you know, I... I, I, I I know that that will happen to them, but it, it probably won't happen to me. And we, we just go through life so often thinking we're the exception. And what's true of normal life is sometimes true spiritually as well. We, we think ourselves to be exceptions, and, and, and sometimes that's the case even whenever we think about our sin, that, that, that God takes other people's sin very seriously, but maybe not so much our own. And, and you see here that this story so clearly illustrates that there are no exceptions. As someone has put it, um, in, in every house in Egypt that night, there was death. It was either the death of a firstborn or it was the death of a lamb. All of us face God's wrath. And this is how it is with salvation. We are either covered by the death of Christ or we face eternal, spiritual, physical death ourselves. There's no middle ground. This sacrifice that points to Jesus, this, this sacrifice of Jesus, is absolutely necessary for us all. So that's the first thing. The sacrifice is necessary. It, it, it's also suitable. It's also suitable. At the, the heart of this Passover ritual is that the killing of the lamb and the use of its blood, the blood smeared with the hyssop on the the, the doorpost and the lintel of each household. You see verse 3 of chapter 12 of Exodus, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, uh, one for each household. Now, in the Old Testament, generally, blood symbolized death, a, a life brought to an end in a violent way, and, and, and death was very much the, the penalty for sin. You remember in the Garden of Eden, when God warns Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, he, he warns them, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And of course, whenever they do eat from the tree, 
God's warning becomes a reality, and they, they, they die. They die spiritually, and they're cut off from God. They're cast out of the garden, and they begin to die physically. And it's not only in the, the Old Testament that there is this link between sin and death. Of course, it's in the New Testament too. Paul says famously in Romans, the wages of sin is death. The just deserts, the, the reward for sin is death. So this, this lamb is a sacrifice, sacrifice for sin, and, and, and it's clearly stated that, that this lamb must be a suitable sacrifice. It has to be a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish, no defect, year-old male. And so in order to avoid God's judgment, what's it saying? A perfect one needs to, to take your place. The blood of a perfect sacrifice, that's what's suitable. It doesn't take a huge leap to see how this gets us to Jesus, does it? He is God's perfect sacrifice without blemish. In Him there is no defect. He has no sin, and yet His blood spilled on the cross. Peter says in his first letter, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And you notice that this lamb is for the family. It's an interesting little thought, isn't it? In verse 3, it's one lamb for the family. Now, there is a progression in the breadth of the impact of the sacrifice of a lamb as we run through the Scriptures. I'd never seen this before. I think it was Philip Reichen that points it out. It begins in Genesis. It's not the first time that a lamb has been sacrificed in someone's place. In Genesis, Abel brings a sacrifice. Remember Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to the Lord? And Abel's sacrifice is a lamb, and it is an acceptable sacrifice. One lamb for one Abel. Later on, Isaac sacrificed by Abraham, but the, the Lord provides. A ram is caught in the thicket. One lamb for one Isaac. And then here, it's a lamb for a household. You see that the, the, the covering of the lamb, as it were, has expanded. One lamb for one household. Later on in the Old Testament, there is a, a national ritual called the Day of Atonement. One lamb, then, is sacrificed for the nation. One lamb sent into the desert, but one lamb, lamb sacrificed for the nation. The impact of the covering of the lamb, as it were, has expanded. And you can see how it goes. Then Jesus comes. John the Baptist sees him and says, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The growing effectiveness of the covering of the lamb until the Lamb of God appears, and His death cleanses the many. It's just wonderful. It's a suitable and effective sacrifice. He, he's a substitution as well. Well, can you imagine the, 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 the scene in the household? The father prepares the lamb, and this is not just any lamb. It is the one that has been taken into the house on the 10th day, and then sacrificed on the 14th day. It's been in the house for four days. It's become the pet lamb that the, you know, the kids have given it a name. You shouldn't ever name anything you're going to eat, but never mind. Uh, they, uh, this is, this is uh, become the, the, the lamb that, that they know. 
And so the father doesn't want to kill this lamb. And yet he, he looks at his eldest child. And he says, well, it's the lamb or it's Solomon or it's the lamb or it's Joshua. It's a child of the lamb. The lamb is the substitute. It takes the place of the lamb. And then on the night of the firstborn are struck down, God passes over where he sees the blood. It's as if the blood says, no judgment here. A sacrifice has been made. The blood has been spilled. The lamb has died. Now, of course, the sharp Israelite mind would, would realize that as he looked at his son or his daughter and he looked at the lamb, it, it wasn't much of a trade-off. An animal couldn't properly take the place of his child. An animal couldn't properly pay for sin. And he would realize that it was symbolic of something much greater, namely God's promise to provide a lamb, a sacrifice for sin. And of course, that is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't this what He has done? He has died in your place and in mine, and He has secured our salvation. He has saved us from the judgment of God. Most people know that the cross has something to do with salvation, but while we cannot know everything about it, we've got to know that we can be more than just vague about it. On the cross, the Lamb of God dies. He dies in our place. And had He not died, we must certainly face the judgment of God. I wonder, do we feel tonight that we deserve God's wrath? There would be those who would say to even mention such a thing is to be damaging towards our sort of mental well-being somehow. But I want to tell you that as we as we grasp the trouble we would be in without Christ, it will cause our hearts to sing and our souls to rejoice. Do we, do we know that without the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, then hell would most certainly be our destiny? We would be much healthier and happier and more grateful believers if we knew that and felt that. Do you, do you notice that the, the lamb is to be roasted? Verse 8, that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, the legs, the internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. So the animal is, is not to be boiled or eaten raw. It's, it's, not a, it's not to be a casserole just because Susanna does this fantastic lamb casserole. No, 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 now is not the night for the lamb casserole, Susanna. You can't do that. It's going to be roast lamb tonight. And, then, and why is that? It's, it's in the Old Testament, the wrath of God is often symbolized by fire. And, and so the, 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 the idea of something being burnt up is, is, is the picture of the wrath of God consuming it. What happened so often with sacrifices was that they were, they were burnt. You know, we talk about burnt offerings. Do you remember whenever our, our first parents sinned, they were expelled from the garden. And, and the way back to the garden is guarded. Do you remember with what? An angel, a cherubim with a, with a flaming sword stationed to guard the way back to Eden. Why, why a flaming sword? It's not to help the angels see in the dark. That's okay. They can do that, I think. No, it's, it's because 
the way back to the garden demands a sacrifice that can be killed, which is the sword, and burned. Because that's what a sacrifice does. It, it, it dies and it takes the wrath of God. And on the cross, what happens to the Lord Jesus, the, the burning heat of God's wrath settles upon Jesus. Because he is God, he takes it. It does not consume him, but he exhausts it. To change the metaphor, he, he drains the cup of God's wrath successfully. The lamb's roasted. By the way, there's a little hint of the importance of family here, isn't it? A little a covenant sort of picture. You see that the blood is, is, is to be put on the doorposts. It's not to be dabbed on each person individually or on the child who is at risk of death. No, it's put on the doorposts as if to say, this household comes under my protection. This is God dealing with a family. You see, it's, it's important in our tradition, isn't it, that the family really is key. It doesn't work that, mean that God will not work in individuals here and there, but there is a focus on on, on, on the family right from the very earliest of days as this substitute saves this family from the heartbreak and death of the firstborn. And, and then this sacrifice, just in a word or two, is, is, is objective. I've been thinking about this recently because I was uh, doing something on assurance for the academy, and I came across something that Don Carson uh, used from this to, to draw our attention uh, to it. And it helps us to see where our confidence should be tonight. And, and maybe this is obvious, but, but it might help us as we think about this. Don Carson imagines two families living next door to each other in Egypt, two Israelite families. The two dads step out of their house, each with a bowl with some blood in it, with the hyssop, and they begin to, to paint the, the, the lintels and the doorposts of the, of the houses. And they see each other and they wish each other good evening, and, and they said, whoa, it's going to be quite a night, isn't it? And the other says, yes, yes, but do you know what? I, I'm, I'm terrified. And the first one says, well, 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 well why, why are you terrified? Haven't you, got, uh, haven't you got the blood? And he says, yes, but whew, you know the angel of the Lord coming here tonight, the, the firstborn dying across the land, what, what if he doesn't see the blood? What if I'm not putting it on right? How much are you using? I, I, I don't think I'm going to close my eyes all night. And the other says, oh, we, we, we'll be fine. God has said that if he sees the blood, we're okay. The angel will pass over us. We have to trust him. I'm not worried. And Don Carson asked the question, which of those two homes are passed over? One family where the family is full of faith, confident in what God has promised. The other, oh, full of doubts and anxieties, sitting up all night, listening for every sound. Which family is passed over? Well, both are, aren't they? Because the blood is on both doors. What really matters, you see, is that the lamb has died. The sacrifice has been made. The issue is, is not their faith or, or how they feel about it. That the fact is that they have responded to 
what God has told them to do, the blood has been applied, and when God has promised that, He will pass over it, no matter how they feel about it. And so it is for us. Some of us will get anxious. Will I be okay on that last day? Oh, my faith is so, is so weak. I find myself so full of doubts. I, I, but our hope is in the blood of the Lamb. One has died so that we need not. So on the, on the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus looks back at the Passover and says, 1,400 years You've been doing this for 1,400 years. Do you know what? It's all about me. Isn't that amazing? And it helps us to see that he's the one that we need. He's the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb, the one in our place. And, and this Easter, don't, don't let your guilt be minimized. That the, the world will try to do that all of the time. Don't say, oh, yes, we've made a few mistakes. But God's okay about it. We're only human after all. No, 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 no. See, yes, we are. We are sinners. We, we are guilty before the Lord. We face the judgment of God. Our situation is dire, but God has acted, and He has provided a way. He has provided the sacrifice and the substitute that this Passover lamb points to His very own Son. That is His way of salvation, a way through wrath for us. And if we have laid claim on Christ, then not only will we be passed over by His judgment, but we will, on the other side of that, be embraced by His love, made His children, welcomed into His presence. You see, it is when we acknowledge how desperate our situation is that with God that we begin to appreciate what a, a marvelous generous and kind thing He has done for us. We'll come together on Friday night around the Lord's table. We will take these symbols of bread and wine. Jesus said, after 1,400 years, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. The Passover, guilty before God, saved by a sacrifice and a substitute no other way. I don't know about you, but I find it just amazing that our God has prepared so wonderfully and carefully for these thousands of years for this event. God doing something and ordering things that speak of it so clearly, things that are bound up and brought about by the affairs of nations. And yet, God so ordered it that it would become perfectly clear what he's working towards. Clear that he is directing all of history towards the cross of Christ, the one who is our hope and our only hope. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together.